This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Reuters, the Associated Press, uh, and also the Washington Post are three of the most well-known institutions in journalism that have also gone about adding artificial intelligence to their operations. Well, in 2016, the Washington Post produced 850 articles using its heliograph system, including 500 on the presidential election alone. AI is credited with being helpful when it comes to fact-checking and being more efficient. The Post has stated that their 2012 election coverage produced about 15% of the total content that they put out in 2016. However, critics, uh, critics excuse me, say the move to these robotic reporters sometimes comes at the expense of real journalists and causes layoffs in the newsroom. Also, AI lacks the intuition, accountability, and self-awareness that a human has. Some editors push back on that, saying that this technology can be used to free up reporters to cover more stories. So is AI the future of journalism? Meredith Broussard is an assistant professor at New York University's Carter Journalism Institute and author of the book Artificial Unintelligence, How Computers Misunderstand the World. And also joining us, Seth Lewis, who holds a chair in emerging media at the University of Oregon School of Journalism and Communication. He is also an affiliated fellow at the Information Society Project at Yale Law School. Meredith, Seth, thank you both and welcome to the show today. Thank you for your time. Thanks very much. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So, Meredith, give us your view on the state of AI in journalism right now and the impact that it is having. So AI in journalism is very exciting. Uh, As you mentioned, it can free up reporters uh, to do more interesting stories. But one of the things I think is important to keep in mind is that uh, so-called robot reporting is not going to replace human journalists anytime soon. So AI is very good for generating multiple versions of basically the same story. So it's really good in financial reporting where you're talking about earnings reports uh, and the stories don't really change all that much. Seth, your thoughts? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it works well for things that have highly structured data associated with them. So I think sports are another example. College baseball, college softball, these are things that the Associated Press did not used to cover uh, and still does not cover with humans, but because of automation, they can create stories that, that turn those box scores in, into narrative news. So it's, um, you know, it sounds like human, reads like human reporting, but it's just based on a kind of a template-based approach to various narrative styles you can take with, with highly structured types of information. Yeah, and I guess, Seth, it's, it's not a surprise with where the industry has gone over the last decade or so that there would be this concern of, of bringing this type of technology into the industry and then seeing a continuing of loss of physical jobs for people that have been uh, reporting for 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, I think the, the one of the things right now we're seeing, of course, is that you are seeing the, the, the decline in the number of jobs in journalism at the same time as we're seeing the rise in automation. But that's very much correlation and not causation, of course, uh, that those things are very unrelated in the sense that uh, what newspapers and news organizations generally are dealing with, if they've been around for decades, is just the, the, the loss of the traditional 
models of, of subsidizing the news creation uh, because of the loss of advertising, the role, especially Google and Facebook, and sort of swallowing up a lot of the digital advertising as, as news goes online. So I think that what you're seeing, though, is that there are news companies that are trying to experiment with ways of, of augmenting coverage at a time of diminishing human resources. Meredith? You know, I think one of the, uh, I think Seth is right, and I also think that one way of imagining how AI works in journalism is by thinking about Mad Libs, the children's game. So when you use an AI to write a story, you basically write Mad Libs, and the computer fills in structured information. So every single college baseball story I, based on structured information is basically the same. So you're going to get the same story over and over again. And you have to think, do you really want that? Is that actually what people come to newspapers for? Do they come to newspapers and media organizations to read exactly the same story over and over again? And they don't. So there's a point of diminishing returns with AI-generated news. It's really nifty, but it has very limited utility. So then do you expect then it it will continue to be used more and more on the editorial side, or I should say on the editing side, uh, to be able to be that, that one of those processes before an article actually goes to publication? One of the things that I'm really interested in in my own research is using AI to generate leads for investigative reporting. So one of the hardest things that reporters do is come up with new story ideas. Uh, It's much harder than anybody imagines to engage in that creative process and to come up with something that is truly novel. Uh, Most of us come up with ideas that have already been done because they're easy ideas. So I'm really interested in using AI to trigger reporters' natural creative processes. So not to replace reporters, but to augment their existing abilities. We're joined on the phone by Meredith Broussard of uh, New York University, Seth Lewis of the University of Oregon. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We're talking about the impact of artificial intelligence in the world of journalism. Your comments, again, welcome on the phone or Twitter at your uh, at your availability, 844-942-7866 or on Twitter at BizRadio132. Or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I, I think, Seth, that the expectation of some people is that at some point down the road, they expect to see a fully automated newsroom. Now, obviously, there are elements of that already in play. But as you both have kind of seemed to uh, to mention, it's very hard in this type of industry to have something that is 100% automated. Oh, completely. Yeah, I think that I, I think there's a tendency right now, especially with the uh, all the conversation that's going on around the replacement. You know, that's the word that's often used about a replacement of, of human labor by robots. And certainly that may be happening in certain areas and in certain industries to some extent. But I think we tend to overplay that and, and tend to assume that somehow these machines can take on more than they probably can, at least for any sort of foreseeable future that we have, because there are, there are inherently so many creative processes that require human intervention, human oversight, 
Um, and, and I think to Meredith's point earlier, if it's, a, if it's a truly automated newsroom, maybe the news it's produced is really kind of boring because it does tend to, would probably tend to follow certain, uh, you know, templates and tropes and so forth. And, and ultimately, you're, you're going to have humans who will be overseeing the, the type of uh, creation. I mean, just to give you one example, um, it, we've done some research recently on the question of libel in the context of automation and journalism. So if right. an automated story were to defame an individual, who's responsible and what does that look like? And um, I, don't, I don't think we're quite ready to, to sort of figure out ways of suing algorithms. So ultimately, humans <laughs> yeah. are going to be responsible one way or the other. Meredith? Uh, so one of the things I write about in my book is an idea that I call techno-chauvinism, the idea that technological solutions are superior to other solutions. And so when we so we've gotten very into the idea of techno-chauvinism over the past decades, and there is this assumption that the fully automated newsroom is something that we're moving toward. And I would I would question that assumption because news is not the same as uh, producing a car on an assembly line. And the idea that for whatever reason, a machine would be better than a human at generating news or at creating media is an assumption that I would challenge because when we actually look at the news or the writing that's generated by computers, as I said, it's pretty boring. Well, and and then you throw in the aspect of, of the actual human flair and style that that a reporter may have in terms of covering a story, especially if you're somebody that that is a columnist, Meredith, a, a columnist that is personal thoughts and, and and style, and that is very hard to replicate uh, exactly. when you, when you're using when you're using uh, automation. Yeah, and it's not actually something that we want to replicate. I uh, this is this is something that happens over and over again. In the technological world, we imagine that having infinite quantities of something is going to be really fantastic, and then we get it, and then it's not so great. I would. Uh, oh, God, I'm sorry. Finish up. Well, it's a little bit like uh, fast food versus slow food. Uh, the massive amount of junk content that's out there on the internet, we thought it was going to be really great, but it turns out it's like eating fast food for every meal. And so I want us to think about, okay, what would it look like to have a slow food movement for news? You know, what if we think about smaller batch artisanally produced news? It's less, it's, it's more expensive. It's not as efficient, but it's actually better. But there is also the element, Seth, that when you're talking about artificial intelligence or, or algorithms, you're talking about a human element that is behind that process to begin with that is kind of setting the groundwork for how you want that that uh, that entity to work in a newsroom, what things that they want to look for. So there's there's still always going to be an element of human no matter where you go with this. Oh, definitely. And I, I think that that is the fundamental question that is being asked. Um, I mean, maybe not asked enough or, or persistently but enough, but I think we need to consider um, the various uh, you know, human elements, biases, norms, values, and ethics that are built into systems, not just of automation and journalism, but of course of all kinds. And if, I think we're beginning to have that broader debate 
about, for example, the role of platforms in society and the kinds of um, biases that may be embedded in the way they are structured, not just literally in the kind of code that is written, but as Meredith pointed out, just the assumptions that we develop around these platforms or around technologies in terms of what they should or should not do in our lives. And I think in a similar way, we have to kind of interrogate, you know, not just can we do uh, automation and journalism, but, but why? Why are we doing it? What are we trying to accomplish? And to what extent will it actually make journalism better, uh, the work and, and, and lives of humans better, and so forth? I guess one of the things I had seen recently, Meredith, is uh, coming out of China, where they have uh, an AI news reporter delivering the basically the network news uh, each and every night over there. So, you know, that's another side of the industry. But it is it does kind of highlight the fact that there are a variety of different areas within broadcasting and journalism as a whole where these elements are going to play a role in the years to come. You know, I think it's, as Seth said, we have to think about not only can we do this, but should we do this? So the AI newsreader is really neat for about five seconds, and then it gets really boring. I mean, this is, yeah. this is a theme I keep coming back to, right? The the media that's generated automatically tends to be kind of boring. And so we have to think about what what do we want out of news? What do we want out of media? Uh, and to your point about the humans in the loop, uh, there's been some really interesting work uh, coming out lately about the hidden role of human moderators in AI systems. Mm -hmm. So many, many AI systems like to sell themselves as being fully automated, and they pretend that there aren't humans in the loop. And that's really interesting to me because that's so much more about marketing than it is about understanding how the systems truly work. Uh, so Sarah Roberts, who's a scholar at USC, has a, a book coming out about the uh, hidden world of content moderators on social media. Uh, Tarleton Gillespie has a book that came out last year about uh, content moderation and platforms. And so it's really important to think about the humans who are behind the scenes in AI systems. What are the jobs we're asking those humans to perform? What is the trauma that comes along with uh, being a human moderator on Facebook or Twitter or Amazon, where you have to look at just the most awful filth that is produced yeah. by people and is flagged by people or by automated systems and you know, what is the what is the human consequence of the system that we've created well and, and i guess that the the playing off of that the question becomes is because of the fact that we're in this digital age and, and content is king and and you know the race to get a story out seems to be even quicker and quicker how much does ai help that process and i think you both have have stated that in certain instances uh, that it does really help kind of move that process along. In others, it probably does not. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad Meredith mentioned this because I was thinking about this as we've been talking, this question of pseudo-AI and how um, there's, a, there's a kind of marketing trick to saying, you know, we're, we've built an AI app or startup, and, and really it's, um, there's a lot of, there are a lot of humans behind it. 
Um, but but by branding it as AI, by having an AI element, it certain it kind of carries a certain distinction that then will allow them to get future funding and so forth. So that itself is a fascinating dimension, and it's kind of worth asking, like, why? Why, why, does, why is it like that, and why do we tend to see it that way? With regard to kind of production and how it can amplify the coverage that news organizations provide, I'm... I think maybe one example of where things will likely go in the future, like at the moment you have AI processes that can produce these automated stories in highly structured situations like sports and finance and weather. Um, I think if you look at Gmail and what it does right now in terms of offering sentences and words as you type your email, that could be a function that ends up in various word processors, including the type that journalists use in the coming years. Again, we can debate about whether that's a good thing or not, but I think it certainly is likely to just be part of text and writing in the future. Um, that itself could, could, could make it easier and faster to, to type certain stories, um, but will it make for better stories? I, you know, I think that it's, it's, quite, it's an open question to, to consider. Meredith? You know, I'm just thinking about what it would be like if I had uh, autocomplete inside whatever document I'm writing. Like, I'm thinking about what it would be like if uh, if there were predictive texts that were trying to write a story for me, and I would absolutely turn it off. I I'm I'm very enthusiastic about the uh, about automated text generation in certain circumstances. I think it's great for financial reporting. Uh, I'm very interested in the way it's being used in uh, you know in kids sports coverage. Uh, in politics, it's really handy um, because you can uh, set up a template to write uh, an, a local elections results story. And so you can push out the local elections results story the moment that you have it. So that's really great. But I'm just not personally interested in the predictive text that would get in the way of creativity. And does it and does it hurt? your belief in that area even more so now because of how people have kind of at times gone away from traditional journalism obviously the uh, the uh, the younger generations are, are are looking for their news in in different formats than they were than say I was at you know age 52 of years ago picking up a copy of the Philadelphia Daily News when I was coming into Philadelphia you know, I grew up reading the uh, reading the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, and I progressed from the comics to the kids page, yeah. and then uh, that's what got me into reading the reading the grown up sections of the newspaper. Uh, and I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. Uh, I think that kids nowadays are accessing news in different ways on different platforms, but they're still doing basically the same thing. I. Uh, so I, I think we do ourselves a disservice by imagining that news consumption is different nowadays because kids want to know what's going on in the world and they want to talk to each other about the events of the day and they want to talk to the adults in their lives about the events of the day and them emailing each other links or texting each other links or making memes it's the same thing that earlier generations used to do. We used to cut out newspaper articles or yeah. Xerox them and mail yes. them to each other. Yes. You know, I mean, I still have elderly relatives who mail me uh, things that they've cut out of the newspaper. And it's great. And it's exactly the same structurally as my friends who email me links. Seth, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I... I I think that um, we we can kind of maybe overplay the extent to which things are 
changing, I think, as Meredith has, has nicely described. I think it's also worth mentioning, too, just to get back to a point you brought up earlier, this question of content and the value of, of a given piece of content. Right. I mean, you know, each story is, of course, not the same in terms of its potential value. And I think that what we're seeing with, if there's, if there's been one thing that has held true over the last couple of decades with online publishing, it's that, um, it, it, you know, it's obviously easier and easier to produce and publish content, but the, the kind of individual value of any given piece of content seems to be worth less and less and less, at least when it comes to advertising monetization. Right? So if you're trying to make money through digital advertising, uh, it's, it, it just gets harder every year because as there's just more content out there and, and, and the advertising is spread across more content. And so the, the value of any given piece, as well as the value of any given click, is worth less every year. So it is kind of worth asking, like, you know, is, it, is this just a race to the bottom in terms of producing masses and masses of content through automation, but, but as Meredith points out, is, it maybe is more boring content or not that interesting? Or is it better for news organizations to actually think about doing less, producing less news, but making it better or making it somehow more value-added in a way, more investigative, right, more original, more creative, in a way that would actually um, meet consumers' needs and not be part of this kind of sort of race to the bottom that I think we're seeing. Great to have you both with us today. Thank you, Meredith. Uh, Seth, thank you as well. All the best. Enjoy the day. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.